Rogers almost going to fall for Martinez. Antonov trying to get there. Martinez finishes to give away the match. It's an absolute peach from the Paraguayan Miguel Almiron. Atlanta United in just their second year of existence have won MLS Cup. Patrick Final Joe. Patrick, we're going to do things a little differently today. The first part of the show that we normally do will be right mm-hmm. here, right here Ooh, where you're listening okay. right now. However, we're going to nice. take the Q&A. We're going to shift it somewhere else. We're going to shift it to our Patreon, patreon.com slash five stripe final. And that will probably be the norm for a while going forward. Mm-hmm. We're going to try it out. We're going to try it out. We're going to give something special for our folks that have been with us for a while and hanging out with us in the Discord and just hanging out on Patreon and everything like that. Uh, that's just how it's going to be. Everyone cool and with you, it? If you're not, yeah. All, cool, all the all the freebie schmucks who listen to us uh, without you know <laughs> donating it. Yeah, no, I'm <laughs> no, no, we you still get all, you still get all of our breakdown on the game, but then we get really get in the weeds on the on the Q and A. Let's be honest. So uh, we know you the hard it anyway. We know. <laughs> we know. Um, Joe Patrick, thanks to Kurt Castle on the intro of the song. Yes, is thank you. Kurt. Chances, check it out wherever you. Get music. Thanks to Lucid FC for sponsoring and powering this episode as well. We'll talk a little bit more about them at the end of the show. But Joe, first we have to get to a total Molly whopping. Yeah, this is fun. This is this is true. Atlanta United is back territory where teams now seem scared or at least it just it comes off that way from an Atlanta United perspective like when a, an opposing team comes from Mercedes-Benz Stadium you're just expecting to romp on them at this point and especially when the lineups came out on Saturday night mm-hmm. that showed that all the all the pieces were finally in the starting lineup for the first time I think it's what a lot of people expected but again the the being back portion of it is that the team then goes out and delivers on that expectation which is mm-hmm. great to see it's not only that I mean they had the weird moment where Medhamdi scores from a little bit outside the box it was just kind of mm-hmm. an offensive letdown moment that you know we maybe become a little too accustomed to here in atlanta but it just seemed like it it was a blip right like it was the fcs school totally. like accidentally scoring a touchdown on their first <laughs> yeah, drive yeah, you know yeah. it was <laughs> right exactly the, the beat down was coming and it really started from the very jump and atlanta immediately just proceeded to bludgeon montreal to death with a blunt object is what it felt like just a sledgehammer to the face over and over again. And the sledgehammer comes in the form of, of mainly Shonday Silva, just wrecking shop for a good portion of this entire game. When he got the first goal, it wasn't a surprise when he got the first assist on the second goal. It wasn't a surprise. He was excellent. And in part, I think that's due to the fact that you're not just worrying about Shonday right now. Like mm-hmm. When you have that 11 plus zero lineup and you've got to worry about uh, Sabalu Janice on the other side. The, the spacing is great. The width is great. The, the tactics are sound. The game model is sound. And when you have the talent Atlanta United has, you're going to whip some ass. And they did just that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That, it feels good to hear you say that, Sam. Oh, my gosh. It's been too long. <laughs> it's been too long. No, but, you know, with Janday, like, it is there is something different about the way that he uh, he touches the ball, like the way he, the way he like he's just got skill, like he's got more than than just pace. He can beat players off the dribble, which is 
kind of a great um, cord to be able to pull. Like when you're just just to have that in your bag as part of your game where you have a winger who can just go one on one. It feels like it's been forever since Atlanta United has had a winger who can actually run at defenders and you feel like is going to make something positive happen. And it feels to me like um, they kind of pair well together. Jean is a guy who's much Obviously, they're both willing to to run at fullbacks as wingers, but it seems like Saba is really capitalizing on moments where he receives the ball in space and is kind of able to assess the situation and then find somebody in the box. And John Day um, is a lot better at just being able to beat somebody off the dribble and kind of create that moment of, of havoc, which disorganizes the opponent. And then other players are able to come in and capitalize. So um, it just seems like a great pairing they have going together. And then when you add on top of that, uh, a poacher goal scorer like Yorgos Yakumakis, who's back tied upon the um, golden boot lead and a playmaker like Almada, man, it is like, that is not a team you want to play against. And if these guys stay healthy, you know, this team definitely has its shortcomings and its vulnerabilities, but I don't think any team wants to see Atlanta United in MLS Cup playoffs just because of the danger that they pose. No, absolutely not. I, I mean, like you said, we're talking about the golden boot leader right now. York Sakamaki's on 15 goals tied with a couple other folks, including Lucho Acosta for that. Uh, Tiago Amato leads the league in assist with 16 on the year. Of course, they're, they're kind of secondary there, but still That's a club I, I record too. I think it's pretty close to, uh, as far as his number of uh, primary assist as well as pretty close to that 16 number. Uh, and then you throw in and Saba and Shande and low key Saba's actually technically been more productive than Shande, which I don't think a lot yeah. of people would have guessed, but, but yeah. Saba does have the three goals compared to Shande's uh, two. Uh, they both have three assists. Uh, that's a pretty unreal output for two dudes who have started uh, eight games collectively right now. Um, yeah. It's been, it's been insane. Then of course, Tristan doing Tristan things. It's remarkable to watch. And uh, Man, it's 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 so Seattle, isn't it? it like this really is Seattle. I guess with all yeah. of this, you know. But we've been joking about Sounder South for so long, and it never really seemed to manifest quite the uh-huh. way that we'd been hoping. And this is it, folks. I, I mean, even in the <laughs> way Atlanta plays right now, I, I look at that and go, "Oh, <laughs> yeah." This, this is, is it. This is a. Uh, this is this that is, team. This is li- this is literally exactly how Seattle would always yeah have all, have all their success. You you make some midseason signings mm-hmm. um, and it spurs you on, and sometimes they don't click right away. But like yeah, eventually by the time you hit this portion of the season, you kind of get rolling, and then mm-hmm. that's the nature of the playoffs. If you if you're hot, you can beat anybody. That's exactly right. But it, it's even in the way they play that bludgeoning to death with a blunt object that I'm talking about. It, what I mean by that. Like the actual this is really on physical manifestation. Yeah, it gets very violent. <laughs> me. I don't, but it is. It feels, it feels ruthless yeah, yeah, in yeah. a way, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. The way that manifests on the pitch is essentially just attacking the wide spaces and having the pace to do it and then getting into uh, the prime assist zones over and over again and creating chances um, from those wide areas. You just do it over and over again until the XG piles up, until the chances pile up. And at some point, like the body blows turn into to haymakers, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's the way Seattle has always kind of just used a, a tactical nuke to hunt like one single rabbit. You know, they're, they're going to go for the single biggest explosion possible, right? Even if it's unnecessary, it's just going to be overkill almost. But you yeah. do it until it actually pays off and it keeps yeah. paying off for Atlanta United. For Gonzalo Pineda, I think that he's always wanted to kind of play, mm-hmm. have his team play in this style. We, he's talked about it before, about preferring the natural wingers, wanting to get the crosses in. 
but I think what the team is doing now better than they ever have under Pineda is getting into those primary assist zones and working the ball into those closer areas where those wide services can then come from, as opposed to, I feel like when the team has had other, um, just less skilled wingers on the field. They want to be in, in even wider spaces to deliver the ball because they're those wider spaces. They're just more open for them to play in during the run of play. So then you get some kind of looping long cross coming into the box. That's not coming from as dangerous of a position as it is if it's coming from the byline. So it's just much easier for an opponent to defend. And what we're, I think we're seeing from these wingers, like when you see John Day get the ball, He's not looking to immediately put the service in from where he receives it. He wants to run in even closer and go at his fullback and kind of um, there's a saying in football for receivers, like step on their toes when you're running a route, like you want to get on Mm -hmm. that cornerback's toes and then make your cut. And I feel like John Day likes to do that. Like he almost wants to run right at that fullback and, and close actually kind of reduce the space while the fullback is running backwards. And then it just allows him to get closer to those key service areas. And it allows him to, again, cause some disorganization, um, amongst the opponent's structure in general. So it just seems to be coming off the right way. But I just, just to go back to Pineda, like this is why I think we on this show have been pretty steadfast in our confidence in Pineda being able to lead this team. And it's always just kind of been down to a lack of pieces that he's had to work mm-hmm. with, frankly. And now that the pieces are in place, we're seeing, you know, quality from those positions and and we're seeing the results that come from it. Again, very funny to hear folks in Seattle be like, oh, we haven't won anything since Pineda left while Atlanta folks are, <laughs> yeah. have been constantly freaking out about it, you know, yeah, but dude knows his stuff. We've known that for a while. Uh, I think it's also interesting to see proof of concept from the standpoint of buy-in overall, which I don't think we quite knew whether or not that was the case. Right. Like there was always this feeling of like, okay, yeah, they don't have the pieces, but also is everyone like into this buying in giving a hundred percent, et cetera, et cetera. And those things can be influenced by man management and locker room culture and everything like that. And I think now we're seeing that all manifest in a really positive way. They're winning 50 fifties. There's high effort and everyone kind of senses blood in the water in a way they haven't. In a long yeah. time, it, it helps, of course, that the Montreal kind of set up in like this five, three, two ish sort of thing that allowed some space on the wing, especially in, in midfield. And uh, it helps that George Campbell was hanging on for, for dear life the entire game. <laughs> he did not have a good one. Um, they they weren't really set up in a way that was conducive to, to slow and get Lana down. And they took full advantage. I'm really glad you mentioned that because I feel like, again, I feel like that shape has worked well against Atlanta in the past when they haven't had the players on the wings that are able to overwhelm these opponents. But I feel like now that you have Saba and Jande, um, as well as, you know, Caleb Wiley, I think, changes this team's dynamic as a as a f- attacking fullback on the left Caleb side. Caleb kind of quietly was freaking incredible yeah. in yeah. this one. Extremely yeah. direct, extremely confident. I loved a yeah. lot of what he did, but it got overshadowed by the fact that, you know, three dudes had a goal and an assist on the night. And it almost seems, Sam, like he's... Um, He's becoming so much like more fluid in that position. Like mm-hmm. since he's gotten a run of games there, 
he's been able to understand better when he can attack and and how he can influence the game going forward. And, and then just, just flat out, you know, learning how to manage himself over the course of the game so that he can finish it. We saw him when he was playing as a winger, just like sprinting, sprinting, sprinting. And then at 60 minutes, he's kind of done. Um, so it's, I think it's been good to see his development there, but I think that just overall, when you add him to this kind of play that Atlanta United can get going down the wings, it just overwhelms opponents when they go to this back five, because the fullbacks are the, the wingbacks are just kind of overloaded in some of those areas. And then you have the technical ability for those players to then combine and work themselves in closer again to those primary assist zones um, that just creates so much, so much havoc for opponents. So I think that that is also a really important aspect of this game that teams aren't going to be able to just come in and bunker five at the back against this team and think that that's going to necessarily sort out their problems. And, uh, you know, I think that with what you have in midfield, with Mayumba and Rosetto playing so well next to him, um, when they do try to drop those numbers back to protect their own area, you just start to really control the game like we saw this team do when they had Darlington Nagby in 2018-2019. Did you just compare Hosetsu to, to Darlington? Well, no, it was, what Tristan has done for the <laughs> midfield is similar to what that I, I was just checking, in, just checking <laughs> in on everyone's. But he really, did, I mean, it seems like Muyumba has made Rosetto a better player. Like they, their skills somehow fit better together. It's not that he's better necessarily. It's just that he only has the, the one job, really. That's right. Point, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and he's always yeah. been successful at yeah. cycling the ball and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So that's it, right? Like, it's not like he's suddenly worth the money or turn into the team's best player or anything like that. I don't want it to get it twisted like I heard. That oh, yeah, some yeah, folks yeah. Might yeah, have, uh, yeah. Remember, two Muyumbas. Uh, two Muyumbas is what we're looking for. Two whole Muyumbas. That's the goal. Be, be amazing, wouldn't it? Uh, what about one whole Shande Silva next year? Uh, Joe Patrick, because he does have a purchase option. We don't know what that is. We don't know his salary. We don't know a lot of things about how much of a cap hit that would actually be. What we do know is that Sabalob Janice is not a, what we would call a full DP. He is not over the DP threshold. So if Atlanta needed to turn him into a TAM player and add someone else to a DP spot during the offseason, they can. They can do that. Is that player Jande Silva, potentially? I don't think Jande would be that much. I think Jande would be a TAM player for sure. Uh, okay. He's coming from a relegated French team. So mm-hmm. I have to imagine that that agreed upon price is probably on the lowish side mm-hmm. um i can't imagine the wages are super high when you just look at where he's played like you always wonder about someone's wages if they got a stint if they had a stint where they signed at like a big club that could have signed them for big wages because then typically unless they run their contract all the way down and go leave as a free agent they they will typically typically make more money but yeah i mean i think that it's going to be a manageable contract i think uh and that's this is why you do the prearranged deal um mm-hmm. so that you know the player you don't have any like uh ill will towards a player who's just goes off like jande has and uh raises his price tag in in the meantime so i think that it's great business for atlanta united to have that kind of prearranged and i have to imagine that whatever it is they're going to uh, trigger you know they're going to trigger those options and, and make him a, a full-time player for what he adds to this team there's probably some sneaky cat magic too with bringing him on loan for half a season you know and making yeah. him fit within this i'm sure roster and everything like that yeah. um the other dumb thing about my question is that obviously atlanta still has to figure out the u22 situation and, and everything like that before uh, they really want to start adding in uh, another full dp uh and everything like that there, there's yeah there's things to figure out right sure there sure uh, but i think but, you're totally right in the sense that uh 
yeah, he probably ain't going to cost that much. Right. Yeah. And you do it yeah. in a heartbeat. Yeah. You do it in a yeah. heartbeat. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably already done. Like if yeah. it is kind of what I'm thinking, it's probably done kind of behind the scenes. It's just more of a formality and communicating it publicly whenever it, it becomes necessary to do so. But I'm glad what you brought up there, Sam, because it just I forget sometimes that the, like there's still more meat on this bone that <laughs> they're to, to chew off of um, for Garth Lagerway to just make this team even better uh, in the future. And of course, I think it's going to be tough when Tiago Amada does inevitably go whenever that might be. But man, you just can't have any more confidence than than we would have right now with seeing how these players are performing. So it's it, I'm quite optimistic by the fact that this team still has work to do in terms of getting rid of some of these U22s and such. Yeah, there's still some work to do, and it does kind of bring up a couple of potential fatal flaws as we look towards the playoff. We've been hyping this team up for the entire show. It's time to be more five-stripe finally and, and talk about maybe some potential issues once we get to the playoffs, because I think that's that's where the focus is right now. Uh, first and foremost, you're probably going to have some road games, maybe a mm-hmm. whole bunch. You know, mm-hmm. It's just going to be really tough to, to get to the top four, even though uh, they're right there in the thick of it right now. Orlando draw... Orlando drew last night uh, that, that helped as well. Uh, there are four teams from places third to sixth in the East tied with 49 points. Orlando has 51. Everyone there is beatable is catchable, but Atlanta has played uh, more games than all of them is the only issue. Yeah. So you have that. We, we've talked about that before, but the other we'll have a lot more clarity next week when, uh, mm-hmm. when all these teams play over the weekend, Atlanta doesn't exactly, exactly. It'll catch up a little bit. Um, in addition to that, though, what else do you see as kind of a potential <laughs> fatal flaw for this team in a playoff setting? Right. We know they can beat up on Montreal. We know they can beat up on a Miami team without Messi. We know they can do these things. We know they're going to be effective in attack. But uh, anything else kind of come to mind is maybe maybe a possible <laughs> problem in a playoff yeah. setting where other teams are also good. Right. Shocker here. Um, I mean, I think. Atlanta still has a vulnerability at the goalkeeping position. If they don't control games the way they want to, I think Bregzan becomes even more vulnerable um, just because of his limitations as a pure shot stopper. Mm -hmm. Um, There were some moments where I thought like, you know, in that game where it's like, yes, this is exactly why it's so important for Atlanta to be controlling the middle, to be controlling possession, to be controlling the game because Gazan has been was able to come out and, and deal with this, this ball that might otherwise have become a problem for the team. Um, and he's he's good at reading some of those situations. But I thought that the goal that Montreal did score, I mean, that's exactly the kind of goal that, you know, good teams will score against you when they have even better players than Montreal has at mm-hmm. being able to execute those. And you have to try to limit that. I think on the positives, Atlanta has actually done really well at just denying shot opportunities, shooting opportunities to opponents um, throughout the season. But that obviously becomes all the more difficult when you're playing on the road against these top teams. And so you have to expect that you're going to be in some of these situations where they have good opportunities. And again, I think that that's where their, their kind of fatal flaw might be is just defending in general, just keeping teams off the score sheet. It's a, it's a shame that these series won't be like done on goal aggregate. I would kind of have more confidence if there was uh, aggregate involved and Atlanta could rely on kind of like racking up like big home wins and things like that. I think it might give them a better opportunity. What about you? What do you think? Well, yeah, no, you kind of got to the point as far as that goes. I'll bring up the stats real quick. We're not doing this just because we're we're mean or whatever. Like the numbers are the numbers. Yeah. Uh, right now, Atlanta is last in goalkeeping as far as uh, post shot XG goes. Uh, it just means where the ball has been placed, 
relative to the average keeper, they've stopped uh, much fewer than the average keeper would have last in the league right now in that particular stat. And that could potentially be a problem. Makes right? sense, though. I mean, it checks um, out. you also have Hasetu there as well. And, and yeah, he's been good as far as cycling and everything like that. There's still physical limitations. Yeah, you kind of worry uh, potentially about his ability to uh, help maintain control in a game against someone like Philadelphia, where the, the you know, the physicality is generally going to be there. Obviously, it didn't matter mm-hmm. a few weeks ago when Philadelphia was here, but that could be different. <laughs> Subaru Park. I mean, there, there's things like that to consider. I don't want anyone to go into this or come out of this thinking that we're like everyone buckle up for the MLS Cup run. Right. Yeah. Here yeah, we yeah. go. Going to yeah. be really difficult. East is stacked. There are a lot of really good teams and there are still a couple of things, I think, to to tweak with this Atlanta United team, but it is yeah. as close as it has ever yeah. been in the last four or five years, whatever you want to call it. I, hmm, Joe Patrick, this team right now versus the 2019 team, who you got? Oh, I'd still probably take the 2019 team if I had to, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's, I mean, it's close. And I think that that says a lot. I mean, that 2019 team should have won MLS Cup. I think we talked about this in the last podcast. Yeah. Like it, that was a legit good very good team. Um, yeah. The way yeah. they were playing, at least at the end of the season. Give, give me that Joseph versus pretty much anyone in, yeah. in MLS history. And, you know, yeah. and I'm going to, I'm going to feel pretty good about their chances unless yeah. they're on either side. Yeah. So. You still had Nagby and Gressel and yeah. so many good players on that team. Um, but you shoot, had to consider I forgot, it I forgot for a second. I, yeah, 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 for sure. For sure. And I think <laughs> oh, I remember like, w- w- it's not that we think this team is going to win an MLS Cup. It's that we feel like there's a chance. Like, like, like at least there's an opportunity for this team to do something special where it clearly that was clearly not on the cards prior to the transfer window. And so in that respect, I would say, you know, Carl Spokenegger said JoJo's after the transfer window. They did a great job. They did a great job. In case that hasn't been <laughs> in mm. case that hasn't been clear. Obviously, there was a, a lot a lot of chaos when it opened with the whole Franco Obara situation. Um, Which is still not as- good. I don't want to be yeah, like still, great absolutely, job on that. still not good. Right. It, it, it was not it was yeah, not a good job by the club. It was very unfortunate that situation happened. Some things were more out of their control than I think some people know. But still, even with having said that, there were some things that were in their control that you know, prior to. Um, those circumstances that could have avoided this situation. So I don't want to sugarcoat that, but the players that they did go there out and sign have clearly transformed this team. And it's made it so that when you do go into a playoff situation, you want to watch them. You want to see what's going to happen. Like I could see a lot of Atlanta United fans prior just kind of tuning out. Cause you kind of felt like it was, you knew exactly how, how it was going to work out. If the team had snuck into the playoffs, now it seems like this team is surging. And so that gives you, that great hope that you want as sports fans that inevitably kills you. It'll but we have one. it now. It'll be great. Uh, Joe, a couple other notes from this game. Uh, Derek Etienne, San Diego Sosa, not even on the bench for this one. Um, it does. Seems seem like, like they're gone. Not yeah, in the plans. It seem like that as well. Um, Going to be tougher to move. Well, it'd be tough to move both of them, honestly, considering form and, and wages and everything like that. But, uh, possibility this offseason it seems like Gonzalo said after the game that he's simply got to play the players who are in form and, and right now he's making the right calls on that it seems like uh, Edwin Mascara comes in and scores uh, we get our first look at Jamal Tiari any, any thoughts on, on Jamal I was not like checked out at that point but <laughs> I, I wasn't paying super close attention to every movement he made in a limited appearance but 
seemed fine. That was around that time where I was starting to have terrors about the Ohio State and Notre Dame game. So I was mm-hmm. a little <laughs> sidetracked there. Uh, Tiari did a good job. Uh, he drew a red card on uh, yeah, good job. Montreal defender uh, mm-hmm. with a little sneaky like movement. Uh, but yeah, I mean, not enough of a sample for me to really ha- honestly have any kind of take on on him. Probably better than Miguel Berry. I would say like just with the way he was kind of moving around. You would hope you would think, but we'll see. <laughs> We'll see. Uh, Mascara gets the goal. Another good substitute appearance from him. I, I really kind of like him. This was good Mascara. A, yeah. yeah I, it's great I, to I like bring in Mascara when you're like up yeah. by three goals yeah. or two goals. And it's just like, <laughs> let him run, run around. No stress. Exactly. Exactly. I, he does. He's a really, I think he's a really bright player. I, I think he has a really good understanding of space and where he needs to be and how to, to get to those positions. I think he makes good runs i think he positions himself well it's just that when the ball gets at his feet at times it just looks he looks far too clumsy for a person of his stature if that makes sense like he plays mm-hmm. like he's mm-hmm. almost like six foot seven and right. still figuring out how his legs work and that yeah. shouldn't be the case for someone who appears to be so um physically gifted at times right yeah, um, yeah, yeah. it's almost odd but uh, honestly it just like with players that are like frankly his size like you just kind of expect them to have some more like technical ability, like when, the, when you know, when you see like a small, f- f- quick, pacey, agile player, you, I don't know, I guess you just expect them to be, yeah, a little bit more, yeah, not have some of those touches that he has <laughs> that can let him down at times. But, and, and sometimes they work out for him, but um, again, it's just like, why, that's why I don't want him in a pressure situation, just because mm-hmm. I feel like he's very unpredictable as to how he's going to come off. But let me ask you this, like, would you, mm-hmm. when we're talking about, you know, players who might not be around or, you know, cutting the, trimming the fat on the U22 stuff like would you still keep him around because I kind of feel like what he does provide is is replaceable especially with what we've seen from this front office and Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure that there would be I I think you're more incentivized to actually get rid of him just because of the mechanism the US uh, MLS um, you know roster regulation mechanisms um, than keeping him for the value that he provides because I think the value he provides is more replaceable yeah, I think that's fair. I think he also he's making himself movable in a way that maybe he wasn't after yeah, a bad. True, stint, that's a good point too. Uh, that's a big part of it. and everything like that. Um, mm-hmm. It will be possible to to maybe shift him along, and you know Atlanta wants to get down to to one. They might get down to zero before they get back to one. Honestly, uh, with the way things have gone, uh, obviously Lopez is gone um, in some manner, some form. We're still trying yeah. to figure out exactly what it, with that. Um, Sosa isn't in the plans. Abara, it doesn't seem like that's a long term think uh given the the nature of that uh relationship right now and everything uh i don't know any new information on that it just doesn't seem like it's going to be continued if that makes sense as a little side question do you have any uh, idea how he's doing in in toronto i have not been paying attention not he's he's not made that team good if that's okay (laughs) still bad yeah still 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 horrific (laughs) that that checks out Frankly, yeah. that checks out. Yeah. I mean, no, no one expected him to go up there and be a savior. He is a yeah. um, he's a complimentary piece anyway, as far yeah. as like you need other folks around him to be doing things. Can, and uh, no one around Toronto was doing anything. So on him, I feel like Atlanta is also benefited for as much as we liked Franco and praised Franco. Um, he was providing some things that the team was lacking at the time that he should not have been responsible for, like <laughs> progressing the ball and like forward yes. passes uh, into the channels. Um, 
frankly, I think this team is so much more dynamic when you don't have him like with his his kind of fatal flaw, which is his lack of mobility, Abara Island. When you don't have Abara Island on the field and you have other players who are capable of running around uh, and covering more space, I think that it just makes this team feel so much more dangerous. And I think that that's one of the reasons why when we see them on that pitch at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, they just feel like rampant and fluid and, and just like they're kind of moving around as a herd instead of kind of having a player that you have to really be wary of of his limitations and being able to cover and mark players. Yeah, I I think that's spot on. I think that's spot on. Joe Patrick, any other takes from this one? Pretty straightforward, all considered. Atlanta, good. Real good. That's the whole thing. Again, delivering on expectations very similar to the, well, I mean, the Miami game. I think the expectations were up in the air as to how they were going to deal with that, but they dealt with it well and, yeah, this game, I think, went according to script. So we can go ahead and get to the Q&A. But before we do that, we do need to just once again thank Lucid FC, who's a, been a great sponsor for us on the show for several years now. Um, they're happy to be back with a new shop that they have open at 1085 Howell Mill Road. That's next to Barcelona Wine Bar uh, or Oku Sushi, uh, full circle in West Midtown, Atlanta. So definitely go check them out since they've moved locations. They used to be in Buckhead. Now they're in West Midtown. Um, again, they're locally founded. If you're not familiar with them, a uh, couple of twins who grew up here, uh, very inspired by kind of European street wear culture stuff. Guy Ritchie, Guy Ritchie inspired. That's what I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding. That's, that is what it is. Uh, but definitely check them out at lucidfc.us. You can find all kinds of that kind of clothing and uh, footwear and clothing, obviously, and that is what the FC stands for. And use DSS as your season-long promo for free shipping within the United States when you go to lucidfc.us. You ready to get into uh, some questions here, Sam? Yes, but first I have something important to say. I don't What's care that? for Auburn. And that's my whole take. Okay. See okay. you on Patreon. 